love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Hi, I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm here with Haley Chura, and we are your hosts of the Iron Women podcast. Haley, what is happening with you this week? What's new? Alyssa, I had one of the best weather weekends that I've had in a long time. It was just such beautiful weather. I feel like I'm always talking about the weather, but you know, it is something <laughs> that I experienced. And, and when you come out of a like, you know, Montana winter and you're moving into spring and you have the uh, you hit 70 degrees Fahrenheit for the first time. It just feels like a gift and it's sunny. I actually sat outside and like ate lunch for a little bit and I got like a little bit of a tan on my neck. You probably can't see. It. I think it's faded, but you know, just these things like where I'm like, "Oh, I actually might need sunscreen in my life." You know, like that's been my like major source of joy and then the longer days and you know, just this is what living in like a northern latitude um winter and summer I feel like these are the things you notice a lot which you now do you know so like how are things in New Hampshire you've had one more week to to explore your new home do you still like it or are you like packing up headed back to Virginia already (laughs) no we love it we love it and Matt's first day of work was today and I was like waiting with bated breath I like didn't let myself text him all day you know waiting to see if he'd come home and be like yep uh pack up again this isn't gonna happen (laughs) but luckily it all went well he's super happy um at work which was obviously like the driving factor for us being here and so that was really encouraging because after a week here we we do we really like it um we're settling in pretty well I saw your Instagram post about the weather and I was laughing I think it was Betty maybe who commented on the post and said like it's hotter there than in Atlanta today or something right and I can I can totally see because like every day I get up and I like look at the Lebanon weather and then I look at the Culpeper weather and I'm like, haha, like it's better here right now. It's raining and cold there. Like it's just cold here. Like I can see how now I'm going to get into that like comparison game. But um, no, things here are are good. I'm I'm definitely like adjusting and um, the community is super, super kind and really helpful and welcoming, uh, even despite a global pandemic, which is awesome. And I think speaks a lot about the community. Um, I had, I had coffee with Sarah True today, a fellow Live Feisty podcast host on If We Were Riding and, um, two-time Olympian, really good triathlete. She, um, you know, took time to welcome me to the area in person and uh, show me a really good local coffee shop and then kind of give me the download on a lot of the best training spots and her favorite places around here to go. So that was really, really kind. Thank you, Sarah, again. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'll be seeing her a bit in the the future as well. But um, I think, Haley, you know, I was thinking about it today as I'm still meeting neighbors and you know, going to new places and always kind of being the new person that I'm really grateful for the time I spent as a traveling professional triathlete, because I think the Alyssa of like a decade ago would have been terrified to, I mean, that's why when I relocated from Baltimore, like looking for a place to relocate, right? Like I was three hours away from home. I didn't want to go that far. You know, I still wanted to go somewhere that was comfortable in Charlottesville where I knew the area and I felt like I had some community already there. Um, but my, the years like I've racing and showing up to a new place, being a new person and like having to figure things out and just having to kind of assimilate and, you know, make your way and do all those new person in a place things. Right. I've learned through the last, what, eight years, I guess, of, of racing professionally. And so it's really, really cool. And I'm, I'm really grateful that like, you know, I'm able to see that kind of growth, I guess, that I've had um, through my career in sport, because it's definitely made it easier to, to be a new person, I think, here so far. 
showing up to a race in Taiwan with no luggage and no bike <laughs> and still figuring out how to make that happen makes getting coffee in New Hampshire at a whole new <laughs> coffee shop seem pretty mild, I guess. <laughs> I know, but Haley, I think the common link is that like smiles are really good and which is hard when it's a pandemic and you have to always be wearing um, your mask. So, you know, just like the friendlier you can make yourself appear, I feel like in that situation and in the situations I am in here in New Hampshire, I think really helps. And just admitting that I have no idea what's going on some of the time is also very helpful because people do want to help like, you know, and um, New Englanders I'm finding are are definitely like a different kind of friendly. I think in different pockets of the U.S., like the friendliness is kind of conveyed differently. But um, yeah, the people here definitely want to help. You just sometimes have to like let them know that you have no idea what you're doing. How is the pool situation? I feel like new pools can be very intimidating. And there's always a lot of rules at pools that like you don't necessarily know until you've been there a while. How is it for you? Yeah, that's definitely been the case. We... First, there's the good thing is there's a lot of pool options, which is great, um, especially within like 25 minutes. We have, you know, several options, which is really cool. Um, and there was one pool that was going to be probably like top of the convenience list, you know. And so we went there first and the pool the first day, Haley, was like at least 85 degrees, but I'm pretty Ooh. sure it was warmer. <laughs> That's and I mean, I had to, it was the type of swim where I got out and like changed out of one cap and put on this other really thin cap I keep in my bag for these types of instances that like hopefully would make it a little cooler. Um, and so, but in the days since, so also with COVID, you, you can't like buy guest passes here at the gyms and pools yet. So it's like you're in for a month, right? At these places. And in the times I've swum there since, um, I've had good swims, even though it is warm and it, it, it hasn't been as warm as that first day. So I don't know if my body was just like, in shock with that with having a pool that temperature or something um and but it is funny like the lifeguard you know some pools you walk in and the lifeguard like ignores you or whatever like this lifeguard likes to like acknowledge you and like say hello and like you know so I have to build in a little bit of time for that sort of thing to happen I have to make sure you know he's watching me take the shower before I enter and like making sure I do that <laughs> fully Which actually are you clothed <laughs> Oh, yes. The, the on-deck shower. I'm wearing my bathing suit. So Sorry. Have you ever been to Iceland? I could, do it. Because- I could do it in the locker room, but I always, I mean, um, admittedly, I, that's not like, I think I've just been attuned to like swim team. Not that I swam on swim team that much, but I feel like my pool habits were learned where it was like you show up and you just get in the pool, um, which I know is like, it's like the law for pool showering, which actually Haley... Do you, what's your take on pool showers as like a lifelong swimmer? Oh, I never do it except I've gotten in trouble at places, like especially in foreign yeah. countries. Um, yeah. I was going to say in Iceland, like they make you take a naked shower before you get into the pool and like oh. someone is watching <laughs> oh, gosh. like of your same gender though. It's not like right. lifeguard, but there's like a shower attendant, someone watching to make sure everyone takes a naked shower before they get into the pool. And it's like totally normal for them and it was not normal for me but (laughs) so I will say this guy this is like a total tangent but we'll go we'll do it so his rationale I always thought it was like because humans are dirty right and you have to like clean off but he actually was explaining to me that he believes or has for whatever reason he's saying it's because everything on you know yes it's because you're dirty but I guess like the it's not that it just makes the pool water dirty it's that that like dirt and like stuff on your skin stirs up the chlorine. And so then the chlorine, I guess the way the chemical reacts, it like comes to the surface. So then you're like breathing in this like gas, right? That's like pretty harmful, I guess, when you have like dirty people swimming and it's like right on the surface and you're breathing it all the time for an hour while you work out. And he's like, that's why all these adults now have asthma and like there's breathing problems and you go to a master's right. He went on this whole tangent about how that's why people have asthma often as adults if they've been lifelong swimmers and so it gave me food for thought I was like you know maybe I mean I don't know so I just I take a shower now when I go to that pool so but there is then next month we're gonna try the Upper Valley Aquatic Center which is like the lush I think experience of pool swimming here I think the pool is quite nice it's like a competition temperature um and they switched to 25 meters in the summertime apparently which 
I have mixed feelings on swimming in 25 meters because I get used to the yards and then it's like it throws off my rhythm. But um, the aquatic center is like made to be quite a nice facility. It's just, um, you know, we had made that second on the list because it is like a little bit out of the way for Matt to hit it on the way to work. But we're talking a matter of five or 10 minutes. So I will drive further for cooler pool temperatures. And that is very interesting. I do think a shower before getting in, I've heard it's actually good for your hair and your skin too, to like soak up better water before you get in. And so maybe there are some pluses to that. I think it can also be kind of nice to get really warm. If you aren't getting into a cold pool, we've talked about this before, but I do, I've found that when I do like take a shower before I get in, it feels great. So maybe I should do it more often. (laughs) Um, I'm usually in quite a hurry. Um, Like we don't have lane reservations here in Bozeman. And so it is like, there'll be a line to get into the pool before it opens. And then it's like mad dash to get in. And like, I, I, you know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules at that pool too, that don't always make sense. So it's like, get in the pool as fast as you can. And it's the hours are like, you know, it's, we do have limited time. I have before like put my cap and stuff on like standing outside the pool. (laughs) so that I can get in as fast as possible yeah but um I will also add since we're on this topic I just finished my first full week of long course 50 meters swimming and it's oh it's delightful it is so nice I felt like the first day when I got in I and I swim normally 25 meters short course meters during the winter which I love even more than yards I, I mean yards are fine but my turns are not what they used to be and I feel like when I'm doing yards I love it for there used to be another pool in town that is closed now that I would swim yards occasionally and it will you know I, I feel fast and you feel if it does feel easier because it's shorter but um when I got into that long course meters pool I just felt like an animal that had been let out of my cage I was like <laughs> Oh, it's so like, there's so much space and it was wonderful. So, you know, maybe you'll like this 25 meters this summer. You're going to like, that's true. I'll embrace it. Yeah. (laughs) It's all good. All right, Haley. Well, we also have this week, a fun announcement coming in from one of our sponsors from noon hydration. They have, I feel like noon hydration products are dropping all the time and everyone I am like, how is this one going to beat the last noon hydration product? And then they keep beating themselves at it. So um, another great product has dropped and is available to public noon energy. And Haley, have you had a chance to try noon energy yet? I haven't, but I was curious. I saw the announcement and I was really curious about how this differed from noon sport with caffeine because we already have noon sport with caffeine and which those tabs contain 40 milligrams of caffeine. And this Noon Energy contains 80 milligrams of caffeine in a single tab, along with B vitamins and ginseng. So it's quite a bit more caffeine, I think as much as a cup of coffee. So it is meant to be a like a cup of coffee or an energy drink um, without necessarily the sugar of, of, a, of some of those energy drinks on the market. But I think you've actually tried it, right? Yeah, I did get my hands on some Haley and... It, I really like it. So if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about my love of Red Bull and like energy drinks in having their place in training and on the trail and I'll carry one in my pack for like 10 miles so I could have on a long run in the mountains or something. Right. But I will say um, noon tabs are much lighter than cans of Red Bull to be carrying in my pack. So I'm super excited about that. And, um, you know, I've always also felt kind of like the like that like cup of coffee caffeine kick is probably all I need, right? I don't really need more than that for what I'm looking for. Um, And so I really like that like 80 milligram kind of dose of the caffeine, but, and it also has a bunch of other stuff that's good for us in there. Some vitamins, adaptogens, um, ginseng, things that are just good for your body and give you energy. And I tried the berry blast and I approve of that flavor. So if other listeners want to try, you can get 30% off at noonlife.com with the code LIVEFEISTY with a capital L and a capital F. And I'm looking at these flavors and I, the ginger lime zing, those like ginger and lime are just my favorite flavors. That one I think I definitely want to try, but watermelon sounds quite delicious as well. I'm going to have to try these out, but thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for, um, your endorsement of that as well, because I do trust your judgment, especially on energy drinks. You have, you have some experience there, as you mentioned. 
All right, Haley, we don't have any mailbag in this week. So if people do want to fill our mailbag back up, please do. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And you can send us your questions as we're getting back into races. Uh, They can definitely be race related, but also happy to touch on life subjects too. But you guys are in for a special treat because with no mailbag, Haley, you have a special treat for the listeners today, right? Yes, that's right. Because... There was there was some racing over the weekend, and it was exciting, Alyssa, because Beth Potter might not be a name you immediately rec- immediately recognize in the triathlon world, but chances are you will soon. She's a former Olympic level track athlete. I think she did her first triathlon in 2017, and she has made a few ripples in the sport. She won the World Cup in Valencia, Spain, last November, and she also just won the Super League Arena Games in London two weeks ago. But this past weekend, Beth made a huge splash in both the triathlon and running worlds when she ran a 14.41 5K at the podium 5K in Great Britain. So, Alyssa, you heard that right. 14.41 for a five-kilometer road run. And Beth's time is actually two seconds faster than the official world record time that was set by Beatrice Chepkoch. Uh, I'm not sure if I said that right. This past February. And... So, and it's also a full 10 seconds faster than Paula Radcliffe's British record. So this run came as a shock to pretty much everyone, including Beth. And since world records, they have a lot of rules, including course certifications and drug testing. It's still unclear if Beth's run time will stand as the official world record. But regardless, 1441 is still a very fast time, especially for someone who spent the better part of three years focused on her swimming and her cycling. So I caught up with Beth for a quick chat just after her race, and I asked how it felt to run a 1441 5K and if this run might change her plans for the rest of the year. We'll have that conversation with Beth right now. Hey, feisty folks. Jamila here, the Feisty Team Community Innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the Feisty Team to help you all stay feisty no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests big sponsor discounts, swag, and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty, like-minded friends. Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm talking to you just about 24 hours after your incredible 1441 5K at the Podium 5K road race. How are you feeling? Hi, thank you for having me on. Um, It's a bit mad, to be honest. Um, It hasn't really sunk in and my phone's been going mad and it just everything. It's all a bit overwhelming. And we thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. From what I saw online, it didn't seem like you saw this coming at all. So what did the race feel like? And when did you realize you were running that fast? Um, so I did Super League Triathlon last Saturday and kind of got straight back into training and had a fairly big week. And it was only maybe like Monday night, Tuesday, I decided I was going to race on, on, uh, on Saturday night in the 5K. So I I didn't really, you know, I didn't taper going into this race and I um I kind of wanted to challenge myself over 5K to see what I could do off the back of a big week of training. Um, but I had no, no idea I was going to run this fast. That was like a time that, to be honest, I thought was almost unachievable for me uh, on the track. Um, and, you know, having having been focusing on triathlon this past 18 months, like all in, I did not expect to go and and run as quick as I did. 
could you see the clock when you were finishing? I, I saw the finish line picture and I could see the clock. Like I could see it, but I didn't know. If, did you have a watch or any idea? Um, so I had, um, I had the race organizer shouting out splits every kilometer. So I knew, like, I, I mean, I heard the times. I, I knew that was quick, but I couldn't really, I was trying to work out how fast it was and it just seemed to be getting quicker. And I, I didn't, I just didn't understand. I just didn't know what was happening. I, I broke my 3K PB going through 3K. Um, and and then it was the last lap. I thought, oh, I've got to run this in about, th- I've got a kilometre to go roughly, three minutes-ish, um, give or take. And I saw the clock and it said 11, I think it said 11.30 something. Because um, it was just over, it was like 1.1K to go. And it's just like what <laughs> 11 12 13 14 14 something what the hell <laughs> so, yeah i yeah i'm speechless for once in my life i mean you've been an athlete for a long time and it's kind of cool to hear that those magical days can kind of come out and still surprise you and and you do have a running background you represented the uk in the 10,000 meters at the rio olympics in 2016 but like you mentioned since then you've been focused on triathlon you won the super league arena games triathlon at the london aquatic center last weekend do you think that the addition of swimming and cycling to your training might have actually helped your running yeah i'm actually running probably 60 miles less than i was when i did 10k um but obviously I've replaced that with a lot of cross training and a lot of the right type of cross training as well um and also I've just had you know I've had uh probably three years now touch wood injury free um and especially last year with the COVID pandemic I I was able just to continue a winter block of training and uninterrupted training and I think a lot of people you know, you don't appreciate how much that has added to an aerobic base, an aerobic engine, and I've just been quietly working away. Um, yeah, and, and consistency is definitely key for me. And so I believe the British women's triathlon team has already been selected for the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games. Does that mean you might try to make the UK athletics team again and compete on the track in Tokyo? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to take a couple of days to digest what happened last night. But I mean, I'm I'm going to, who knows what can happen? You know, you just don't know. So I'm going to prepare for, prepare to be in the best shape possible for both. And luckily that, that means like just training as I am at the moment. So training on a triathlon schedule will keep me in shape for both triathlon and track. Um, So I'm going to definitely keep my options open and you know, I just, I can't believe it's come to this. I can't believe, yeah, I just can't believe it. And finally, shoes are big news these days and you're sponsored by Asics and I believe you wore a new model of Asics shoe in the race. What did you think of them? I actually got them um, couriered out, especially midweek. So um, I tried them for the first time. Well, I tried this final version for the first time on Saturday morning on a shakeout jog. And um I felt pretty bouncy um but yeah I mean they're pretty good (laughs) (laughs) we'll take your word for it Beth thank you so much for coming on and giving us a little feedback or behind the scenes on your incredible week and incredible race I still feel like saying that 1441 5k time it seems like I mean that seems like a fake time it's so incredible congratulations We can't wait to see what you do next, you know, in the next couple of months, in the next couple of years, you're definitely one to watch. So we will be cheering you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Alyssa, I did a little bit of math. Well, I used the calculator or a computer, but we looked up what 1441 5k time, like what the pace is. So it's 443 per mile or 256 per kilometer. How far do you think... You could run Beth Potter's 5K pace. Well, our super astute listeners are going to maybe remember an episode back, I think January timeframe as I was uh, doing some run training and I was super excited because I had run some really fast 200s is what I believe I called it. And Haley, I was really excited to tell you that I had run a 35 second 200, which 
was like the best 200 I've ever run, basically, right? And so that is um, her 5K pace, and that was 200 meters. And that was like, I felt like a once in a lifetime moment for me. So I can do it. I have done it for 200 meters, but I would say that's, again, like has to be a really good day. And I don't even think I'm guaranteed to run. So for people to break down further, that it's like a 17 and a half second per hundred meter. And that is not a guarantee, you guys, for me to go out. Like I have to be warmed up and like pumped myself up to hit that kind of speed. Yeah, I think I would to do a 17 and a half second hundred. I think maybe if I had a good tailwind, I could do that. <laughs> but I don't know if I could run a 35 second 200. I mean, that's moving. Again, maybe with a tailwind down the back stretch. <laughs> um, it's, and then to hold that for five kilometers, 3.11 miles, I think that is, it's fantastic. And I'm so excited to see what Beth does in either on the track. I mean, I don't think she's done with triathlon at all. Like, I, I mean, I did not get that opinion or that that vibe from her talking to her. I think she has big things she still wants to accomplish in triathlon. And I am here watching like popcorn in hand. Like this is going to be great. So very cool. We have someone like Beth Potter in our sport. And Haley, we do have a full interview for our listeners today on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, you know, Beth's run was really short and really fast. And this interview is also about someone going fast, but over a tremendously longer distance. We are talking to Emily Ford. She's a Duluth native and is the second human and first woman to complete a winter through hike of the Ice Age Trail. The Ice Age National Scenic Trail winds for almost 1,200 miles, 1,200 miles, people, through rural Wisconsin. And she completed this in 69 days. So we talked to her about what it was like to be out in the winter of Wisconsin, you guys, winter in Wisconsin, for almost 70 days, how it was hiking with her rental dog, Diggins, and her advice for other people in marginalized groups who want to find community in the outdoor space. We'll hear from Emily next. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Emily, hello and welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hello. It's good to be here. <laughs> so congratulations on this epic feat. You were the first woman to complete a winter through hike of the 1200 mile Ice Age Trail and only the second human to do this. You did it in 69 days, which is just under 10 weeks. And so we're recording this on March 15th. And I want our listeners to like think back to what they were doing 10 weeks ago, which is just after the start of the new year. So, like, just imagine that if it was you every day, basically, in 2021, you were out there hiking through the winter on the Ice Age Trail, because that, is Emily, is what you were doing. And obviously, you know, as our listeners are thinking about that, they're going to come to realize that's a long way to be away from home, from their bed, from their clothes, their closets, having food of choice that they want at a moment's notice, <laughs> all of that. So I have to ask, what was the first thing that you were looking forward to after you finished the trail? Man, that changed through the trail because I was like, oh, I'm so excited for like a hot meal. I'm so excited for blah, blah, blah. Um, and when I got home, it was just nice to lay in something and on something I knew wasn't going to be frozen when I woke up in the morning. <laughs> and like to not wake up to my roof snowing on my head every morning. <laughs> And so what was your first meal? Did you have like a meal you were thinking about towards the end? And Yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah, my request. So my partner asked me what I wanted to have like at the finish. And my request was uh, goat cheese and crackers. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you know, there's um, a bubbly water called Topo Chico. It's the oh. best bubbly water. It was my, it was my gateway bubbly water. Um, because it's so fizzy. It's and they use citric acid, so it's like delicious. Anyway, all that aside, um, that's what I had. And actually, my partner is such a good cook. 
but we had box mac and cheese the first night when I was back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think we were both so tired that like making food did just didn't even sound like ideal. <laughs> the luxury of like a fizzy, like sparkling water though. I can imagine that does, that felt like such a, like so high class luxury, like, Oh, I couldn't just get this out on the trail. <laughs> right. Yeah. At- and a glass bottle, 100%. Yeah, it's a super fancy fizzy drink. Yeah. <laughs> so Alyssa and I were following your journey on Instagram. And we were two of the more than like, I think 11,000 followers that the, everyone who was following you during your trek. Uh, were you surprised to like have that kind of a following? Did you notice it growing throughout your hike? Yeah, it's super weird. Um Yeah, (laughs) because I wasn't planning on, I wasn't planning on that, you know, like, a lot of people are like, well, how did this trip start? And like, literally, I was out playing volleyball with a buddy. And I wanted a trail that was a 1000 miles long, I get laid off in the winter, so I could do it in the wintertime. And so this was just like, this was just gonna be a trip, right? Like anything that you two probably done, like, it's just a trip, right? Because you like doing the thing you like to do. So I started an Instagram. And, uh, I had like 200 people following in the beginning, just, and they were people who transferred over from my other Instagram account and, you know, friends, family. And then like after the first week, I went to go do like a social media dump real quick and a thousand people were following. And I was like, well, interesting (laughs) that you all decided to join me on this journey. And then like the next week it was like 2,500 people are following your journey. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't know where you're coming from, but all right. And then it just like oddly grew from there. So we're just taking it in stride, you know, um, whatever, man, it's going to be the same content pretty much. Cause I'm just a normal person just like living my life. So yeah, it's weird though. <laughs> did that social media experience, did that change your, your, your approach to the trail? Did it add any extra pressure to post? Oh no, no! I I knew I was, I was I knew I was gonna post once a week, um, also because like it's a bugger out there. Because like you know, my phone only worked so often, especially for Instagram. Like if you try posting, and to any social media with just like the tiniest little bar on your phone, you're, like standing on top of a rock, like holding your arm up as high as you can to like get some a semblance of service, it's just like it just sucks all the fun out of the trip, right? So I knew I was gonna only post once a week, so that's just what I did. It sucks the fun out of it, and it sucks the battery life. Like you'll watch it go, <laughs> you, like, you like see it counting down. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> but were you reading the comments, or were people messaging you? Did that like was that distracting, or are you just able to just like oh, I'm not even going to pay attention? Oh well, I kept my phone on airplane mode, and okay. for both Facebook and Instagram, still to this day, I don't have notifications on my phone. Um, I have the app on my phone, but I keep the notifications off because it's just so distracting. Um, And yeah, since I kept my phone in airplane mode, it wasn't bad. I would give myself like a whole night, you know, to go through, well, I didn't go through comments because they kind of get a little sticky sometimes. Uh, But I would reply and respond to messages because I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And then I would turn my phone back on airplane mode and go to sleep because also it's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Emily. So one of the things I've been looking forward to asking you about is the fact that at your side, the entire hike mile for mile was a three-year-old Alaskan Husky. Uh, But this is not actually like your personal dog. So you borrowed Diggins from a kennel in Minnesota and you do have a dog, a Catula mix named Zulu. So did you have to talk to Zulu about the fact that you were taking Diggins out on the trail? (laughs) How did you end up exactly with Diggins on the trail? Was there jealousy from Zulu as you were leaving? I'm curious about all of these things. Yeah, I actually, good, all good questions. Yes, Diggins was borrowed. Um, she's awesome. I miss her very much. I did talk to Zulu about it. You know, I, he's, he's been my dog since he was a puppy. Um, I got him uh, for 40 bucks. That's the reason why I bought him. And it was perfect. And uh, we've, we've gone on every trip together. We've spent so much time together. So I was like, look, buddy, I'm not... I'm not choosing her over you. This is just how life has to be for now, you know. And he met her um, a couple times. And I have a picture of them in my kitchen. And Diggins is just, like, so excited about everything. And Zulu's, like, in the back corner of the picture just, like, looking at, like, (laughs) how dare you let this mongrel into our house, you know. Um, So, yeah. 
but you know what? It was awesome. It was really good because then Zulu got to stay home with my partner Flo. So I didn't have like a weird like dog sitting situation. It's just like somebody Zulu already knows is really comfortable with. And they had a great time while I was away. And why was it? I mean, it sounds like you have a dog companion along for a lot of your trips. So why, you know, what have you found that you, um, that it's important to you to have that companion? You know, I've always, man, I've always had dogs growing up. Um, and I was not a super popular person when I was younger. I was a really weird kid, so I didn't have many friends. And so dogs were kind of always my go-to companion. And um, after I got Zulu, I mean, I just, I've taken trips without him because I started backpacking before I had him, but it just enhances the trip. You know, it's a, it's a good conversation starter uh, amongst strangers. You feel safer maybe it's way more exciting something to talk to i've definitely akin her to um do you remember the movie castaway <laughs> um and he had wilson yeah yes like definitely she you know the dog kind of becomes your wilson they become they, they don't really do much for you but they do a lot for you if that makes sense and the reason for getting an alaskan husky is that because uh they are work dogs and can handle the distance a thousand plus mile distance well it was mostly the cold so zulu yeah so the way that you pronounce his breed is catahoula and catahoulas are from the south they are like definitely warm temperature dogs he's the worst in winter i mean he has a full like he has a puffy coat he has booties like he has a whole collection of like buffs and scarfs so like he is not he has a wardrobe pretty much so he's not really made for being out in negative temperatures and he's terrible at sleeping in negative temperatures so diggins has such a nicely layered coat um and is used to being outside here so she lives outside um at at her kennel um so it'd be a lot easier to take her along a lot of sled dogs just wouldn't even sleep in the tent. They would just sleep outside, but I had her in the tent with me anyway. Catahoula. So Emily, I'm like well known on the podcast for mispronouncing things. And so <laughs> <laughs> I said Catula, which like, to be fair, in my defense is like a winter micro spikes brand type of it thing. Sure so is. at least it was, it was in the realm of the winter hiking thing. So I just want to give myself a little credit out there to the listeners who keep score of all the things I mispronounce. Hey, it's okay. I mean, I've spelt it for people and people still know how to say it. So it's totally fine. And also, yeah, Catulas are great. So whatever. Yeah. We can give them a shout out too. <laughs> Alyssa can name her next dog after her, her spikes. spikes. Do it, man. For sure. Um, we actually recently talked to another Erin, Erin Letzring, who, while you were hiking, she was the first woman in 20 years to win the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon. So we talk a little bit about sled dogs and how they have their own personalities and each one kind of fills a niche on the team. So you were this two woman team with Diggins. What, like, what is her personality like? Oh my gosh. She's, well, it's so, it's funny because she was such a good she was such a friendly girl when I picked her up or like when I first started after the first week, she started like nipping at people who would come towards us. So she got super, she became the mom. And I, I was talking with her handler, Sherry. And I was like, just let you know, like, cause we're getting close to the finish. I was like, she might like try to nip at you, like blah, blah, blah. She's like, that's how she was with her puppies. And I was like, I, yeah, I think she thinks she's my mom. Like 100%. She thinks that like, I, yeah, I don't know, like, she owns me or whatever, but, yeah. She did not like my phone, so anytime, so, like, we would have, like, dance parties for lunchtime. I'd play, like, one song, usually Florence and the Machine, and uh, she would just, like, look at my phone like it was the worst thing in the world. She didn't mind when I was singing, but as soon as I turned my phone on her, like, would get on social media, she's like, do you need to be on social media right now? I don't think you need to be on social media. Like, like a mom being she's like, judging honey, you. She was like, honey, you had tons of screen time already today. I think it's time to put your phone down. Maybe we should go back outside, <laughs> you know. But she was a sweetheart. Um, she, you know, she's so smart, actually. Like, yeah, I can't even go through all the ways that she's so smart. She's a lead dog, so she needs to listen and know all these things. So, um, But her personality is a little sassy. But she likes to keep to herself, I would say. But loves to snuggle. Get her, get her on a real bed and she will snuggle all day long. <laughs> and I think we're going to talk more about your gear, but I'm also just thinking too, I mean, are you carrying enough food for her as well and anything that she needs? 
Oh, she carries her own stuff. Oh, she does. Look, okay. <laughs> before I got a backpack for Zulu, I carried his food for... It was my first trip on the Superior Hiking Trail, and I think it was I think it was just, I don't know how many miles it was, like a, a little over 100 miles. So I carried his food for like a week and a half worth of food. For anybody who's listening that has a dog, you've carried that bag of kibble from your car <laughs> to the inside of your house. You know how heavy it is. You know how heavy kibble is. And that was, after that trip, I was like, dude, you are getting your own backpack. I refuse to carry food for a dog ever again. <laughs> And so, as Haley said, we do want to talk about gear a little bit, but folks can actually check out your Instagram where you've done a great job showing a lot of that gear, kind of writing about what you use. So we won't go into too much detail, but what is your all-time must-have piece of winter hiking gear that you would have been totally lost without on this trip? Oh, yeah. I Yeah. This is no secret. I loved my sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the, one of the crucial pieces when you're out there in <laughs> yeah. freezing temperatures like that. Yeah, there's no secret my love for my sleeping bag at all. I never, I didn't name it, surprisingly. I'm surprised I didn't. Um, but it's by Western Mountaineering. It's the Kodiak uh, six-foot bag, negative uh, 30-degree bag. And it was phenomenal. Um, I mean, I wish I would have gotten a warmer bag, but for what I was going through and for what the rating was, it was perfect. Um, it was nice and, like, the lift, it was, it was fluffy it did keep all the air, it kicked all the cold air out, um, and it's roomy. For how small it can pack down, it's oddly roomy. Like, I'm pretty broad-shouldered, and I'm broad, broad-hipped. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm good for carrying things, okay? Um, and so I could, but I could roll over really easy in that bag, and I was impressed because I'd shove all my stuff that I wanted to keep warm or dry out in my bag at nighttime. So it was like all my clothes plus my body um, inside this bag. And I was really impressed. And Emily, this was your first winter through hike. So as you've mentioned, you've competed or completed many other through hikes, but those were done in more of the shoulder season. So spring or fall. So what was the biggest adjustment that you had to make for winter hiking besides, you know, obviously the gear, the, the sleeping bag, but just even just general hiking. I mean, that's a big change. And, and it's, this isn't like Arizona winter we're talking about. Right. The Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, frozen water is probably the biggest adjustment. Everything else, everything else is you know, fairly similar, right? You have your, you have your layers, what you're going to wear, your footwear is a big deal. You know, uh, the intensity of the sun carrying your stuff. I mean, the other thing was how heavy my pack was, but your body will adapt. If you're, you know, a healthy enough person, your body will adapt to carry what you need. But learning how to keep my water not frozen, uh, was a big learning curve. So anytime I would stumble upon like a gas station, I would dump out all my water or drink as much as I could. And then go to like the coffee machine or there's like the hot water tap and you just steal all their hot water. And then just, I mean, I didn't steal it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy hot chocolate and a Rice Krispie treat and eat that. Um, so yeah, that was super helpful. And then I, yeah, people have seen the koozies I used um, to keep that from freezing. One person asked me like, would I, would I rather would have a bladder versus a container? Um, but I would choose a container in the winter any day. Also because the bladder would have been so deep inside my backpack, it would have been hard to refill. And Emily, one of the through hikes you had completed before is the, you might have to help me with this one, the Kekakabik route. Was I right? Close? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should probably figure it out because I'm actually headed to the Boundary Waters, hopefully in September to do a little paddling trip. And so I'm looking at that and I'm just curious, should I actually be like adding some days on to hike this trail as well? Or do you think I'm going to see it all through paddling in the Boundary Waters? Oh, so it's called the Kekakabik. Oh, okay. You were so close and I would never, I would never expect you to get that right. Um, I mean... Uh, the Keck was awesome, but if you're going to do a trail near the Boundary Waters, I would do the Border Route Trail. It it, it connects right to the end of the Keck. Um, so the Keck connects to the beginning of the Border Route, and the Border Route connects right to the beginning of the Superior Hiking Trail. 
So okay. in theory, you could do all of them. You could okay. do probably, you know, like 500 miles if you wanted to. That um, would be more than just a few extra days tacked yeah, on to that. <laughs> you could run it, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, no. It's, it's, such, it's such a cool trail. They've had a lot of issues getting support for people to um, pick up their blazes and stuff. It's a difficult trail to navigate. So if you're out having fun, and like your trip is for paddling and like having a good time with your buddies, I would pass it. I would do the border route instead if you could. Um, that's 65 miles, I think, um, okay. and beautiful. But you'll see so much while you're paddling. So Roger Waters is awesome. Cool. Inside scoop there, Alyssa. Um, I know. She might have just saved you from, from you know, <laughs> 500 <laughs> extra miles. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, or she just inspired you for your next, um, your next uh, FKT kind of thing. But um, – Emily, this hike, because it was in winter, it meant, well, it was in winter and it was during a pandemic. So a lot of things are more challenging. Things are closed during, you know, the off season, things like (laughs) campgrounds. So I think you often had to pitch a tent on private land, which might be someone's front lawn. And we read that you would just like go up to the door and ask. And again, this is happening during a pandemic when, you know, answering the door isn't like it I mean, it's always been, it's been a kind of a weird thing for the last couple of years, but especially weird. I mean, who answers their door? So what were those interactions like? So these people were super awesome. And this is, I don't know if I should say this on a public podcast. I think that in rural areas, um, they took the pandemic in just a little bit of a different way than those of us that live in um, more urban settings. Putting that gently and lightly. Um, so I think everybody opened their door, which was awesome. I only had one person turn me away and it was kind of more of a town situation, but yeah, they were awesome. And I, you know, once I got my point across that I just wanted to use their yard and not come in their house, that was kind of the biggest point, but it was hard to convey because when somebody knocks on your door in the middle of winter and is like, Hey, I want to pitch a tent in your yard instead of coming inside your warm, cozy home. I think people are like, outside, not inside. <laughs> you know, they just like keep repeating what you said back at you. Uh, but they were awesome. These people were super cool. And I was super thankful because um, in those situations, when I did that, it was usually at a time where I couldn't find a spot in the woods to like dash into or like, you know, hide away sneakily enough and safe enough. Um, so I'd have to knock on some doors, but it was awesome. And I got to meet some cool people. Yeah, what do you look for when you're like looking for a, a place to pitch a tent? I mean, and 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 then how do you pick a house? I mean, it's just like, okay, this house looks good. They have a nice yard. It's flat. You know, you're not too far off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first, <laughs> the first, <laughs> I'm just remembering my self talk <laughs> for the first one. I was walking through this town, and I was like, I was like, come on, dude, like, come on, you gotta, you gotta just like buck up and like knock on a door. And then I came up with a game plan because it was at like five o'clock and I was like, somebody's going to be coming home from work. And what you're going to do is you're going to catch them from when they're walking from their car to their house. And you're just going to, so you don't have to knock on the door. It'll be super easy. I had to talk up my, I talked up myself for like a mile. I was like, come on, man. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Barry, his name was Barry. And I was like, hey, (laughs) can I sleep behind your barn? (laughs) His wife was so angry. (laughs) She she sent him out like three times to check on me to make sure I was okay. Oh. <laughs> she was like, she's like, you go check on that girl to make sure she's all right. It was funny. Yeah, it was and fun. what are, are these communities? I mean, they are along the Ice Age Trail. Are they are they familiar with hikers? I mean, obviously, this is not not a lot during the winter since you it you know you're only the second person ever to do a through hike. But I mean, do people do day hikes? Do people do you know section hikes? And are these is this the kind of place where you might find trail magic? Nope. <laughs> nope to all of those. <laughs> These were like really small communities. So in Wisconsin, there's, so in Minnesota, we have townships. So there's like cities, towns, and townships. I think in some of these spaces in Wisconsin, it's like cities, town, townships, villages. So they're like super small communities. Um, and I would have to find people on roadwalk sections. So I don't know how often these people are paying attention to who's walking by their houses. Um, so yeah, not, not much trail magic happening. Just the magic of their flat lawn. (laughs) 
did you have a special like a favorite village or anything that stood out to you that you were passing through nope <laughs> they're, they're just, just like checking these, out those flat lawns yeah just like <laughs> scoping them out yeah well because it would be like a rural community so they wouldn't always you know be so close together and um yeah, they just kind of were what they were. I wish I could, like, romanticize it like a Hallmark movie, but um, lots of just uh, old farmhouses is what you would kind of stumble across. Um, and different, like, uh, different European groups kind of settled in these areas, and they had a boom, and then they had a bust, so there's just a few people that live there. Real exciting, I know. <laughs> and Emily, as you're stumbling through these towns and on the trail, you're actually carrying a pack that was about 60 pounds and it wasn't full of kibble because we know that Diggins is carrying her own food. So that's heavy to carry for like 20 miles for one mile in a day, not on snow at all. So how did you, and you were carrying it for 20 miles on snow in winter conditions and that sort of thing. Did you have a special way that you trained for this when, you know, looking at going from, you know, normal life to 60 pound pack on your back life. Right. Um, you know, my, my life is fairly often, I'm a laborer, you know, so I'm a gardener, but I, it's labor intensive. So I'm fairly fit, which is nice, but I did practice having a pack on my back doing road walks. Um, because since, you know, when you road walk, every step is very similar. So you're just using the same muscles over and over again. Versus like when you're hiking through up and down, you get to use different muscles. Um, and so I knew that road walking would be the hardest part. That's pretty much all I did um, is just kind of get as many miles in as I could. Um, I also trained as a power lifter. Not this, obviously not this current year. So my body is made for carrying heavy objects. And I've, I've kind of trained it and shaped it to carry heavy objects. Because um, I'm not fast. Um, I don't think I'll ever really be fast. Um, I'm just a slow and steady wins the race type of person. So that's mostly what I did to get ready. And Emily, you're the first woman to complete the winter through hike, but you're, we also think it's important for our listeners to know that you are the first black woman and you're also the first openly gay woman. And in the coincidences of all coincidences, last year, um, many of our listeners probably remember Corey Waltering, who's also an openly gay black man. He ran the Ice Age Trail during the summer and set the fastest known time. I think he ran it in like 21 and a half days. So did you follow Corey's run? And what was it like, you know, what is it like to have that kind of representation, both of you out there on this trail in this outdoor space and setting two major records? Yeah. So, no, I had no idea. Like, would I say I didn't know anything about this trail? I didn't know anything about this trail before I, I started, before I started even you know, planning my trip. So I didn't hear about Corey until I actually hit the trail. And I think that's super cool. I, for some of the spaces that I hiked through, I cannot imagine him running. I know he was supported, but man, some of those, Yeah. He's amazing, is all I can say, because I'm just like, holy buckets, you ran through all this. Um, but I think it's so cool, especially kind of back to back. You know, having us do it back to back is so much fun. And like, I'm hoping that, you know, that kind of becomes a normal thing of just like, it doesn't have to be like such an exciting thing anymore. I'm super stoked for that to be the future for, for us, but super great to represent. And funny that we both decided to do the Ice Age Trail. I'm not exactly certain how he found it. Um, I really don't know much about him. I'm I'm not into running at that level at all, especially before this trip. Um, so I just think it's super cool. Have you been doing interviews where they're like, "Are you going to run it next?" And try <laughs> are they trying to egg you on to like become speedier? And it's like you don't understand. Like moving as fast as you do in the winter is actually really fast and really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. If look, if anybody's out there trying to convince me to become no <laughs> I feel like the no. delta between like 21 and a half days when you're fully supported in the summer running it and he's like a very accomplished trail runner and to do it in the winter with just you and Diggins in 69 days like I feel like that's a very impressive like speed I mean I know you say you yeah. aren't fast but I imagine I just know like how much longer it takes me to like walk to the mailbox in the winter versus the summer it makes a big <laughs> yes. difference <laughs> It does. It does. I think it just uses, you know, you know, he, his body and my body are just designed to do very powerful things, but very different powerful things, you know? So yes, you know, of course 
if you put us side by side, he would have zoomed right by me. But, you know, the power is both there for both of us. And Emily, I read an interview where you talked about how there's a societal fear around nighttime and darkness as a black person and how that's often a barrier for people of color to get into the outdoor space and take overnight backpacking trips and stuff like that. Do you have any advice for someone of color who's looking to overcome or maybe even just kind of coexist amongst this fear and, you know, try an overnight backpacking trip? Yeah. I mean, so I one of the things I said on, on another another podcast was that social media is a great tool. It's a great tool that is sometimes not a great tool. <laughs> so we get to kind of learn how to use it to the best of our abilities. And you can totally find resources nowadays. Um, to find groups that are going out. There's tons of like people of color groups who are out hiking, out climbing, out mountain biking, doing all these things. So like if you're not into going alone, which is totally understandable if you've never done this before, um, man, find a group. Um, even if it is a bunch of white folks, whatever, then you'll kind of get out there, you know, at least you'll, you'll be out there in the elements. Like my encouragement is just like, just do it. Find a way to do it. If, if, if something's been sparked inside of you to, um, go on some, you know, journey like that, you know, start small. If you're able to, you know, uh, take the smallest steps that you need. If you need to set up a tent in your living room, if you have the space, sleep on a, you know, <laughs> sleep on a thermo rest for the first time in your life. Cause that's really the determining factor. If you like to sleep outside or not, it's not the outdoors exactly. It's what you're sleeping on. You know, then, you know, if you, if you're able to move that tent outside in your backyard, if you have a backyard, you know, and just, you know, make those baby step increments, just move further away from your home. Um, and then just have a plan set up, you know, so let people know where you're going, you know, uh, and have, you know, those safe words or like safe calls or, you know, make sure that your first couple of places are, um, you know, have cell service if that's, if that's something that you need, um, yeah, and then you'll just kind of become addicted and just kind of kick all those fears out the door and be like, Wisconsin, middle <laughs> of winter, let's do this. Were you ever yeah. afraid during the hike? Well, no. No way, man. No way. I like, I love, I love like the quiet. I love being out in the middle of the wilderness. Like I love hearing the wolves howl. You know, I love all of that. I mean, it's so much fun. Way better than the cities. <laughs> And Emily, I have an athlete who that I coach who frequents the area of the Ice Age Trail, and she's always talking about these eskers, <laughs> like in all in her logs, she's talking about these eskers. And so I've read now that there are actually several glacial formations that define the Kettle Moraine area on the trail. And I, I think you actually have a geology background, so I'm, I'm hopeful that you this question isn't totally out of left field, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe it is, but do you have any information on this stuff and like what it looks like? Because it sounds like it's something that actually looks like different than what we're, we would expect maybe a trail on the East coast or the Appalachian trail. Like what does an esker really look like? Mm. Yeah. So when you're talking about like eskers and kettles and moraines, it's, they're really just talking about different types of hills (laughs) 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 to put it in like extremely layman's terms. So yeah, when the glacier came through, so much stuff was happening underneath, right? So there's rivers that happen underneath these glaciers, and then they'll fill in with sediment, or there'll be these, you know, big, gig- the glacier will melt slowly, so it'll make a dent in the earth, and it'll make these huge kettles for where these lakes are. That's why in Wisconsin, if you look at a map, this is like, it looks like someone shot it with a BB gun, because there's just so many little kettle lakes, right? So that's just kind of where the glacier was like, I'm going to rest here for a little while, then melt later on before, you know, as everything else was receding. So yeah, these eskers are just like these, uh, how would you, how would you describe what it would look like to somebody who can't see me on this podcast, I guess? I don't know, maybe look it up. It it looks like a, from a a sky view, it looked like a worm, (laughs) I guess. It's kind of like this hill. It's long. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. And it's interesting, actually, I didn't realize a kettle was its own kind of geographical thing, because there's a race in the Kettle Marine. It's like the Kettle Marine 100. And they give teapots like these teapots as to the as trophies. And so I saw one at like a friend's house one time she had won one of the like teapot. And so I thought like Kettle Marine kettle teapot, like I just thought, I didn't realize that that was actually like a shout out to like Kettle Marine was the area and like the part of 
name that way because of the glaciers and things like that. So, okay, I've, yeah. I've learned that. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're really cool. So if you looked at a map, like geologically, you know, where the, where the glacier came down, this is why people think the Midwest is so flat because the glacier kind of crushed everybody, right? Unless you had a lava flow later on to like make cool things like here in Duluth, relatively flat. But then you get to the driftless area part of like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, all of a sudden it's like no glacier and it's just beautiful hills. I don't know if you've ever run through there, but they have these beautiful bluffs and cliffs and just like amazing. So oh, it's crazy down there. So yeah. Do you feel like you have a, like a new respect for the area kind of, I mean, obviously not just at home, you've covered a thousand miles, but in, in your part of the country from having seen it so close up and so much of it. I've always thought that the Midwest was really cool. I, you know, especially since I went to school in Southern Minnesota, so we had to study all the geological formations. I do have a bigger respect for Wisconsin though. Not going to lie. I think that Wisconsin, I, yeah. Not that I didn't like Wisconsin before. They just always been the state to the East of us. So, you know, whatever. The Packers live there. That's all I, Packers and cheese and cows. That's all I've really known about it. Um, so now I'm like, dang, they have these, they have so many cool spaces out there. I don't know why I didn't think that before. Cause we have cool spaces like that in Minnesota too. And Emily, we, we've heard that one of your goals was to inspire people to get out in the outdoors. And it sounds like you didn't necessarily start this to become inspirational. I mean, it was kind of, that wasn't your total goal, but I imagine you have inspired people. Have you heard from, from anyone through Instagram or through email or any kind of social media about how maybe you've inspired them to, to either get out on a trail or to get out during the winter? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's been crazy, the response. I think it's also, to what you said before, no, I did not intend on doing that. Super cool that you can just kind of live your normal life and inspire people. I think that's the coolest way to inspire people, is doing something you love, right? Um, but yeah, people still message me um, about, you know, they would they'd be like, oh, I don't even want to go get my mail today. Oh, but Emily's out hiking. I can go at least go get my mail and get outside. You know, simple things like that to like, you know, inspiring new trips or... Um, you know, uh, getting families outside. That was probably the other cool part is just like hearing from families that folks are getting their little kids outside. And I'm like, heck yeah, man, that's what it's all about. So it really makes my heart pretty happy, actually. Did people meet you on the trail to hike it with you at all? Yeah, just for just for a few miles here and there. Um, people who would actually just like, that's that I would be a reason that people would get outside when I was coming through their county. And that was really cool, too. They'd be like, well, we've been looking for you all day long. And because I wouldn't post, I didn't use Strava. <laughs> I know people uh, who do trips, they use Strava so people can kind of track where they are. I did not use Strava. So nobody knew where I was exactly. So they would just be like hoofing it through the snow and they'd be like, oh, we've been looking for you for seven hours. I'd be like, well, <laughs> you found me, <laughs> you know? Well, and Emily, I think that the inspiration people draw from you will continue to be found because I, I heard you're the subject of a documentary film called Breaking Trail. So can you tell us more about this? Oh, yeah. I'm so stoked. Again, social media, like such a cool tool. Uh, yeah. Jesse found me on Instagram. Uh, he and his wife, Jen. They're very nice. Um, and I was kind of um, shy about saying yes in the beginning because I was like, ah. I do not need a documentary being made on my life. Like, that's a weird man. And I was like, oh, this would be kind of fun. So, yeah, he's showing, um, he showed up uh, after the half when I was a little over halfway. And he followed me around on some of my colder days. Um, he's going to go through, like, what it was like uh, sleeping out in the cold. Um, lots of footage on Diggins for anybody who's missing seeing pictures of her. Um, and just kind of what it's like to, kind of what we're talking about here, uh, be the first and uh, be on this journey and inspiring people to be outside. Yeah. And what was your coldest night? Did you have any, like, or do you know, did you keep the data on that? Oh, the date. Or the I, data. Like my... how cold was oh, it? Oh, data. I feel like the date. I was going to say, I probably have it in my journal because yeah. it's probably all I wrote in my journal that day. Cold. <laughs> um, so I slept, we slept out in about negative, 25 ish 23 25 my thermometer that i was wearing was so wrong it never told me the right temperature it was always 10 degrees off 
I always told me it was 10 degrees warmer than it actually was. Um, but one night I stayed inside and I woke up uh, and I waited till it warmed up because it was negative 37 is what we saw. And the wind chill was like negative 50. So I was just like, let's just wait <laughs> before we go out there and hike. Just like cranked out a bunch of miles and then came back inside. Oh, I hope we get those on uh, on that documentary. I hope you got that. But thank you so much. This has been so cool to learn more about just a different way to approach the outdoors in winter. And just, I think it's it's really, I know you don't want to be inspiring. I'm trying to think, think of another word, but <laughs> I mean, you're okay with being inspiring. You didn't seek out to be yeah. that. But again, like how you live your life is is a testament to what people can do and that, you know, these things like conditions and, um, seasons don't have to limit us as quite as much as we, we need to, even if it's just getting the mail. So thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show. We've, we've loved hearing more about your story. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, yeah, I love sharing this. This is so much fun. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. Okay, Haley, I really enjoyed talking to Emily. Of course, I love picking people's brains about trail adventures and I loved her reminder kind of in her advice that she was giving about people who want to do a backpacking trip or an overnight camping trip or something along those lines. And the concept of starting small, like starting with the overnight in your own living room, starting in your own backyard, maybe going to a friend's backyard. You know, those baby steps, I think, are super important to remember because I, you know, coming off of COVID year, especially like we've seen all these epic feats happen in these big things happen in the outdoor space. And it's a good reminder that those epic feats all start with smaller baby steps and like the small things that you do to get yourself comfortable doing that. It is great advice and probably can be applied to many things in life. And I really took away that like maybe winter advent, you know, winter does not have to mean adventures take a break either. Even when you are in a very snowy, very cold place, and maybe you can even have some of your best adventures. And it's great if you can have a friend with you, even if, you know, it's a four-legged friend that might even be the best friend you have with you. So I think that, I mean, it's just, it's a great story. And I'm so glad that Emily shared it with us. And just a reminder to our listeners that you can now pick up Noon Energy at NoonLife.com, 30% off with the code LIVEFEISTY with a capital L and a capital F. And our mailbag is always open. You can send your questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Bye, Alyssa. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.